Hey guys, it's Sean Zock. I won't be hosting this podcast today, but more on that in a minute. First, I wanted to tell you about another podcast I host called A Pod Unlike Any Other. Me and my colleagues at Golf.com poured over eight of the most memorable tournaments in Masters history, from Jack Nicklaus to Tiger Woods, with Freddie Couples and some others in between. We watched the final round broadcast, broke down the golf, weighed in on the hilarious fashion, ridiculed the obnoxious fans. We did it all. So if you're a Masters fan, a golf fan, a history fan, whatever, take a look at a pod unlike any other. You can find it anywhere and everywhere that you listen to podcasts. All right, enough of me. Our equipment editor, John Wall, has a great discussion with the legend behind Vokey Wedges. That's Mr. Bob Vokey himself. You'll enjoy it. The acronym GOAT, which stands for the greatest of all time, is completely overused in our social media-driven society. But I'd argue Bob Vokey deserves a shot at the GOAT title in his area of expertise. The master craftsman at Titles is a living legend, having created one of the most successful wedge businesses in the history of the industry. During his 40-plus years in the equipment space, he's worked with all of the greats, from Seve and Trevino to Woods and Kite. But what many don't know is Vokey didn't grow up dreaming of creating wedges for the best players in the world. It wasn't until 1997 that he started doing wedges full-time, a job he volunteered to take on after spending years working on metalwoods. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Voke recently, as he's known to many in the industry, for a wide-ranging chat that you don't want to miss. But before we get to the interview, here are a couple gear nuggets I picked up from my recent trip to Bay Hill for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. While some players seem to be going longer in length with the putter in an effort to emulate Bryson DeChambeau and Matt Kuchar's arm lock method, Ryan Moore went the opposite way at Bay Hill. Moore switched from 34 inches to 32 and a half in the hopes that it would allow his arms to hang freely and get over the ball in a more comfortable position. The PXG Gen 2 Brandon Proto putter Moore was using also caught my eye. The tour only model has all of the weights positioned in the sole, as opposed to the top of the head with the previous version. The heel toe weights range from two and a half grams all the way up to 20, depending on head weight preference. And if you're all about feel, I was told the putter is 100% milled. Another cool feature is the neck is a separate piece from the head, meaning players like Moore can pair a particular shape with a variety of neck options without much trouble. Putter testing just got a whole lot easier. No word yet from PXG on release date. Vijay Singh may be the only player on tour who has two different numbers stamped on the sole of his Mizuno irons. For a guy who's highly technical and spends more time working on his game than 99.9% of professional golfers on the planet, there's a legitimate reason for the odd stamp job. Singh told me recently he's trying to reduce the amount of offset in his irons. There are many ways to accomplish this, but for Singh, he has each iron bent weaker to take out the offset. Singh then has the correct number painted in red to keep things straight. Whatever works, Vij. The Sharpie serves a number of purposes on the PGA Tour. Most players use it to mark their ball. Keith Mitchell, on the other hand, uses it to mark out the score lines on his Mizuno ST190 driver. According to a company representative, Mitchell blacked out the lines after noticing the head looked visually shut at address. Because Mizuno has a more rounded heel than most drivers on the market, Mitchell's custom creation allowed him to eliminate the shut look. He used the driver to log his first win at the Honda Classic, so the Sharpie work seems to be doing the trick. And with that, let's get to Vogue. Well, we have a, uh, a legend, in my <laughs> opinion, uh, here today for, for today's podcast. Bob Vokey, thank hey, you for taking the time. Jonathan, thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the – You know, really appreciate it. I, I don't think a lot of people realize this, 
but you didn't start out doing wedges when when you first came to titles in 96. Uh, no. I believe you were working on 975D. How, how did right. you get involved in the wedge space? Okay, well, it's it's a pretty good story. I always dabbled in them in my two former companies that I work for. You know, and I have my own golf shop. <clears throat> I love wedges. I love to, love to hit wedges, and I love to dabble with them. You know, I did a lot of work with my dad, and I, and I was fortunate in the other two companies. I learned a lot from wedges working with Lanny Watkins is one, Sebi Ballesteros, Lee Trevino, Marco Mayer, Dave Stockton Sr. I can go on and on and on, all the players that I did, did work with. And, but then it came, eventually, I got a call from Terry McCabe. He was head of R&D at uh, Titus. And he says, and I, I said, Terry, I'm at Founders Club, and I don't think things are going to be going on much longer. And I love Founders Club. And uh, so he said, and I work with Terry Founders. He said, God, he said, why don't you come over here to Titus? I'm working on a driver. So I go over to Titus, and the first project I worked on with Terry was the 975D driver. And I did he had it going I did find tweaks it was just a, a very enjoyable project and then I talked to Terry I said Terry what are you, done, done. What do you want me to do now he said well you know Mr. Uline wants to get into wedges and I said wow really so I sat in a meeting and there was a and I forget there was a, 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 a we talked about well we want to get into wedges and I just went I'm your man it was basically a voluntary type move to go into wedges and I Jonathan at that particular time I knew wedges but I didn't know wedges if you know what I mean I didn't know this fine agency so I when I got on board with Tylus and in would have been September of 96 I started right away by making a whole bunch of different prototypes that I had and I made different sole widths so I just did a whole I must add about 50 just different type of wedges with different types of sole widths bounce angles different at that particular time not too many grinds i was just working on full soles so i turned around and uh away i went i first project that i come out with the night was the uh i made a 200 series then i had a uh, we only had a basic we started off with a, a 256 12 and a 260 12 they're two little models i started off with then eventually that improved and i also had the 300 series and then I had the 400 series, which was my personal favorite at that particular time because it's a classic wedge. And so away I went, and then of 97, summer in July of 97, I went out to um, St. Jude's, Memphis. I was going to ask you about that. And I'll never forget that. And I had my little bag, and I had a couple of 200 series, it's a 300 series, and a 400 series. And I went out on a tee, and I'm very fortunate that I was out on tee with former companies because if you don't build up relationships with tour players, they're not even going to approach you. I so I, all of a nervous. sudden, I show up with wedges. They go, wow, what do you got there? Wedges, folk. all right, what do you got? So all of a sudden, players hit him, and then Andy Bean picked up my 456-14. All it said on it was Titleist and Proto and just a loft on it. And he asked... And he had a couple of shots, a couple of chip shots, really tight, liked it. And he had some little pitch shots. He loved it. He had some full shots. And he said, boy, I like this. He said, I like the shape. I like the feeling. But, yeah, of course, he liked the look of it. A classic, classic look. And he said, what's uh, the balance? So he said, it's 14. He said, God, he said, I love it. He said, can I put it in play? So I had to call the main office to, to get the okay to put it in play. It was all USGA approved and everything. So he put it in play. And that was the first 
wedge, put in play, and the uh, and the PJ tour was right there by Andy. I've had other people claiming they might have had the first wedge because <laughs> they wouldn't have if, if the wedges didn't take off twenty years later like they are. But anybody, the one I remember was Andy definitely was for the first one. Yeah, to ask you, you mentioned working with with guys like Seve and Trevino. Mm-hmm. What what was it like working with with kind of I mean, magicians with the wedge. What, what's it like kind of working with guys like that when they're giving you feedback yeah, on, on the clubs? The biggest thing, what I learned with them, and I always consider myself a, a good listener and a note taker. You know, I paid attention and watched. And and uh, the little nuances that they, that wedges will do. And I watched the things that Sebi wanted, that he did it. And I saw the things that Trevino would do and the things that he wanted. And they both were actually, believe it or not, at that particular time, they are one wedge players. They're sandwich players. Really? Which I, I, I don't want to go on a crusade. <laughs> Jeremy always considers this a Motors Vokey is on a sandwich crusade, but I just feel the lob wedge is the most overused club in a player's bag. Tour players, they hit thousands of balls a day. They can, they can make it work. But the average, I call it, weekend golfer, I think he should rely more on his sandwich than his lob wedge. He'll hit more. You know, it's, it's a higher percentage shot. Shot maker, and it's, and it doesn't have the margin of error that a lob wedge does. So and uh, and, and just I I got learned a lot from them, and I took a lot of that when I turned around. I did when I went into grinds, and I learned a lot as far as making the full soles that I did with the two sixty oh six and the two fifty six twelve, and all the others. And the two was the first one, and the relief that I had in there was the two sixty twelve. That is very similar to our 60s grind right now, which, of course, came from one of our, one of our former staffers, you know, Steve Stricker, and, and they they all come from players. I like to say, oh, Volk, this is Volk's wedge. Not really. <laughs> These came from just basically working with the players, paying attention, listening to them, doing it. And did I get it unwanted? No, I just boom. You don't have a Volk, so I would grind a little, take it out to them, let them hit it, and they say. Not quite, so I'd run in the van, grind a little more off, boom. Then now you got it, now you got it. So that's how it works. You just, you know, you can always, you know, you can always take it off, but you can't put material back on unless you weld it. What's the one thing that's changed the most over the last two decades from your time working with players on tour? I think their knowledge. I think their knowledge is good and the the use of a variety of grinds and really realizing the importance even for the best players in the world, of having the proper grind, the proper loft, and the proper bounce. Having no thing for the t- types of courses that they play and the shots that they want to hit. And I think that's, they, un- they understand. They understand grinds now. And there's so many grinds out there now. It's not just, not just Titleist, but there's a lot of other companies out there are doing the same thing, have a number of grinds. So I think tour players are not getting to know the grinds and getting to be pretty particular on the type of grinds that they want to hit a certain shot. You know, you have worked with a lot of tour players on, on different grinds, mm-hmm. um, and, and I've heard you're really excited about the hand ground process oh, wow, that you're working awesome. on right now. I've heard it's I've heard it's re-energized you, and you you are a yes. really energetic guy, Vogue. Oh, Listen, yeah. one of the most energetic guys that I know. <laughs> but but are, are you still are you still down there on the grinding oh, wheel working yeah. each day? You, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be there tomorrow. Back <laughs> <laughs> in Carlsbad. What I'll do you, what do you love, what do you love right so now? much about just you know, just being on the wheel? It gives me a feeling that I'm back, feeling youth again. I'm not saying that I'm old. I'm still a kid. You're still a kid at heart. I'm still a kid. 
but it gives me that feeling of, wait a second, I remember when I first was doing this many, many years ago. You know, but it's neat to be able to pass on the, all the things that I've learned, work with the tour players, pass this on to the golfing public that they can now purchase a wedge that can be, I call it, professionally ground by the best grinders available. And, and I, call, I don't want to use the best grinders that we have. And that's what we can do. And, and, and if people could go on the website, they can see it on the website and they give them a good explanation of what the grind does. You know, or what it's going to be. We're working very hard with our, with our actually club professionals, our partners, and teaching them about the grinds to where they, when they're working with a the player, they can say, I like it. But you know what? Just maybe a little bit of, little bit of material taken off of here, a little bit on there. And I'm not saying, oh, well, I, why didn't you do that originally? Well, you know, you can only do so many things originally. As I said before, you get a full sword, you can always take it off, but you can't add it back on. And that's the, that's the, the fun part of it. And the hand ground process, all those numerous grinds, it gives you, we can pass that on now, right on, right to the players. And I know when it gets out there, it's very in its infant stages right now, some player's going to get a grind, he's going to look at it, he's going to show his golfing buddy who hit this oh wow it does do that how about that how do i get one just call wedgeworks yeah. Volky design yeah i'm excited about it yeah so i remember you talking to me about sm6 when when it first mm -hmm. came out in in the visible technology on, right. on the back of the head and you were slightly hesitant at first i was yep. and and you had talked about just the people that you work with and you rely on that said look Vogue, this this is going to work yep. just just trust this when you first started, it was it was really just you. How much how much do you rely now on on the team aspect of oh, their, of their feedback and, and opinions total, when you're coming total to design? team, Jonathan? It's total team effort. Now we all look, we all put our heads together. We look at something. Is the is it? Of course, and it's the idea will have to be validated. We validated by total total in house testing, by tour testing, in house testing. When I say in house testing, we have our group of local pros that I. I hit a lot of shots. Like I'll have Tom Pernese, he always comes over, you know, and when he comes in town, Volk, what do you got? So I'll go out in. He's one of my main testers. He's, of course, he's in my he's in my top ten of what players that I've worked with. He's just one of them. We'll have other, but we haven't got it. A lot of good local club pros we'll bring in, too. We'll get that feedback from them, too. Then we'll take it out to the tour. And any of those, we make little changes that we made. I just did, going back to our, an example, I was there Monday, SMH, I was over at TPI, and we had out there at that particular time. I had Mike Hubby. Hubby's a good short game player, unbelievably good. So I had him out hitting this our new prototype SM8s. And I said, "Can you tell the difference between these two? And he's, God, they feel good. He Volk, He said, "When when can I get one?" And I said, "They're not out." <laughs> At the end of the year, I said, "I said Hubby." Then I let Peter Uline hit them. You know, and they just letting players getting the feedback. So where we are. Okay, we're good. Let's proceed to the next step. So yeah. that that segues into my next question, which is people see the, the wedge when it comes out on tour and eventually shortly thereafter it comes out at mm -hmm. retail. But you're already well into the process of designing the next wedge. How how long does that design process typically take? It'll take when we turn around I would say give us give us two years. It's gonna take close to two years. You know, you can expedite it, but to do it the way you want, there's so many things have to go into it you know that it's amazing because we've done a lot with s from sm5s 
And SM5 said qualities. We took those qualities, built, made sure we didn't lose the good qualities in SM6s. And the same thing from SM6s to SM7s. We keep learning a little bit. How far can we press the envelope? Take the envelope all the way to here and still be able to produce that product, manufacture that project. We can do onesie twosies, but can you do a million of them? <laughs> you know, that's the way we got to make sure we can do that. So, so those are, those are constraints also. So we, the, we put a lot of constraints, not constraints, but a lot of, not on pressure, but a lot of challenges for our, for our vendors to get what we want. And, and then that takes a lot of time to be able to do that. And then, yeah, make sure they can write. We do pilot runs and any final tweaks that we have to do, we can, we can do. And of course, you have, you got to make sure your graphics can be done the right way. You got to get something that, and that's a, that's a complete, another area, yeah. you know, because we can make the wedge. Tour players, they look at it and they say, I don't care what's on the back. They want to hit it. Yeah. Plain and simple. <laughs> How does it work? But the golfing public wants to see what's on the back. You want to have that when you put it in the, rack and approach it's got to have that little shelf appeal that pop you know and also not just flash but it's got to be a performing type flash and that's that's what we're doing right now it's got to tell what the product is who's the one player you've worked with who's forced you to think outside the box the most or who's had the biggest impact on on your wedge design well all i'll say i can go all the way back when i first before before coming to titleist i would say it always would have been torino and he's still there because i still sent him Send him stuff. So he, he still he still helps you out. Oh yeah, he, he'll always say, "Send me some protos, folks. Send me some protos." That's last time I last words that I saw him in Toronto last year. You know, he said at the Hall of Fame, he said, "Send me some protos. I love hitting them." So and he is he's the best. You know, so again, but but the guys that really helped me, I'll go right back to my Steve Elkington, Davis Love, Brad Faxon. They were always good good. Pfizer when I first said those are the guys I brought it to right away too and then of course Tom Pernice Tom Pernice because he, he'll come in and Charlie Hoffman fellows who come into TPI regular I have Ben Crane comes in there pretty regular you know I, I, there's a few others that come in too that I'll, that I'll test and you know I want the players that's going to tell me folk it's not what I think it should be <laughs> they'll tell me they're right. not afraid to tell me they don't want to hurt my feelings if I take it out to a lot of young guys out on tour Oh, there's Mr. Volke. I don't want to say nothing yeah. bad about it. So, so I have to let Aaron take care of it, or such stranger, let our engineers take it, so they will tell them. But they don't want to hurt my. I don't think it's they don't. Want, I tell them, don't, don't worry about my feeling. I want to learn from it. It's so, so important. So I, I talked to some tour players about working with you, and, and one of the things that stuck out that somebody said was um, a tour player told me he said he cares about everyone's wedges as, as if they were the own ones in his own bag. Yes. Um, now, you've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. It, you seem more passionate about wedges than, than ever now. What, where does that passion come from each day? Because you, know, you, yeah. you have been doing this for a long time, and sometimes yeah. with people uh, it, it's tough to kind of keep that passion and that flame you going. Know, you know where it comes from? The hand grounds, that's for one thing. But also the other passion comes from mentoring the people that I have working with right now. I got Aaron on tour. He's the best. And I got, I got, I got Kevin. I got Ron. I got some guy named Jeremy. I forget his last name. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that like, guy. I don't like guy either. But <laughs> I, they, they got the passion, and they see the, they see the passion in me. And, and, and I instill that, you know. And I love it because I've heard so many people in the in, in our 
Titus family, big family, not just her, but on the road say, Pope, Pope, your, your passion is just, it's contagious. And it's just because I love what I do. And, and I love these new ideas that are always coming across. Look, what do you think of this? I don't know about that. But all of a sudden, I look at it and I go, hey, wait a second, that's pretty cool. You know, the slate blue, I said, blue color. All of a sudden, whoa. I said, after a while, I took it out to Madison Club. We had a pro-am out there during the Bob Hope. And I couldn't believe the, the uh, reception that I received from all the amateurs come to, even some of the pros come through. You know, I, I, Duff looked at it. I, you know, I, Tom Pernice and Ace come through and they looked at it. And what do you got there, Pope? I said, you can't have them. You're going to have to buy them. <laughs> we laughing. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned Aaron Aaron Dill. Oh yes, who, who is who is your your tour rep yep. out there? Wh- where did you guys meet? How how did you guys link up? You know, it started when I we used to he used to work on a fitting works van with Glenn Mahler, who was out at TPI, and he used to, he worked the foot and it used to travel up the coast. Whenever we didn't have the the main tour van, whenever we didn't have it. They always put the fitting works van. We send stuff up. We work out of that. And I always would see, I call him, I don't want to say this. <laughs> I don't want to say it. I told him to let it slip out. <laughs> but anyway, I, I bug him about it anyway. I see, see this little guy running around. <laughs> I'm joking about Aaron, please. I hope you're not listening to this. Oh, he's going <laughs> to be listening. You. I'm sure I he will. I love you, Aaron. I'm just saying a joke. And that's what, at that particular time, that's all I can think of. He's, he's, he's working, and boom, next thing you know, he'd pull in the bags and the shafts. They had fitting water. And I'm going, hmm. Then I saw him at the club pro up in uh, Sun River. Same thing. I see that same. He's got a motor. Same guy. He's got a motor. He's got a motor. He said, you know what? I like that. That. Then when it came up, the position that came off, I had like about 55 interviews to do. And Aaron, of course, at that particular time, I, you know, I had him in the back of my mind because he would come in in his off time into the plant. He, you know, he was living up up in Temecula area at that time. He would come into the plant and ask me about different things. So I'd give him some, I'd show him how to, behind the wheel, do little grinds, all the other things. And he would do that. So I always had him in the back of my mind when to come come through. I did the, you know, we did the thing. And, and, and I called him, I said, hey, Want to come work with me? He said, you, yeah. He, he said he almost <laughs> fell down. But it was a, it's been a great, uh, great relationship, not just as, as, a, as a worker doing everything. He, you know, he picks my brain a lot. He's a self-starter. All those things, all those things that you look for in a pair. Show me somebody who can bust their hiney. Self-starter, I will teach him. You know, and, and he had all the qualities that I particularly liked. And he's also a good guy too and he's a good person does he remind you a little bit of you yes yep when i was a lot younger no but i i i was i was better looking now <laughs> of course you are <laughs> so so for for the listeners out there i want you to, to talk about what's what's the biggest mistake that that recreational players make with their wedges that you see not first off i'll go think they don't go and get fit they just go into a pro shop yank it out of the bag because it looks good and out they go to me, that hurts more than helps them because if they had the wrong fit, if they get fortunate to get a, you know, it's not going to kill them. It may work, you know, loft-wise, but there's other little shots, you know, they, they may not be, they need a 56, may work loft-wise, but they're not hitting a lot of different shots that they could be able to hit with. They're cheating themselves. But if you go and get fit, 
number one, it's the most important thing. They'll save a lot of shots quicker. And then every, of course, and then it's their technique. You know, that's so, so important is their technique. And you know what? They won't work on their wedge game. They want to work on their driver. They want our little irons, our little hybrids. They don't want to work on a short game. I mean, a short game is they're going to save more shots short game-wise than they will. Because they're going to miss so many greens. They're going to, average weekend golfer hits, hits five, six, seven greens. A lot of chance to get up and down. Yeah. You know, it's I amazing. I know you can't talk about what's coming next, but mm -hmm. what has the feedback, what, what's the feedback you've been hearing on, on SM7, things that maybe you're – thinking about as as pieces for for that next wedge from guys oh, out on tour of course they're always talking about the feel mm -hmm. the feel was was a, a side effect that i was very surprised that it was because we say we kept all the same components same material same same treatments and same, but all of a sudden everybody told me that it felt better the only thing that we did do we improved move the CG in the better closer to the impact position that's the only thing that I can possibly see but you know what happens the only where feel comes into the into into being it's not so much on dead center hits it's the off center hits that's where the feel comes in you know that's when you can really realize it and that's why I say doggone we've we got something here when it first brought to my attention Las Vegas last year with Jimmy Walker, you know, and he says, he said, I has some sixes and he hits the SM7 and he says, boy, and he's hitting, bitting them back and forth. He said, these feel clunky. I said, your SM7s are clunky. He said, no, no, the SM6s are. <laughs> so, so that's when I said, whoa, and I went around all the other, how do they feel? He said, you know, I said, I think they actually feel a little bit softer than the SM6s. I go, all right. <laughs> it was cool. It, it was a really, Little thing we discovered. It was great. Do gear not, do gearheads recognize you when you're out around town? Can 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 you go can you go around incognito? Do people come up to you and ask for photos? Only the only the people at the at the club and I they know me that I don't pay attention to them. I don't give out free wedges, you know. <laughs> at my own country club, you know. They, they know they know me. I said because I give it to one, I got to give it to fifty, you know. So so I say, hey, you want to buy it? Here you go, going to pro shop. Yeah, but you know, no. It's not, nobody, nobody recognizes me. You know, it's, you know, I find maybe, I think I get recognized more in Korea and Japan than I do. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's funny, you know, I, it's weird. I, here I'm just one of the guys, I just stay who I am. You know, I'm not one of the, you know, I don't go around and I'm one of the guys. You're, you're, you're humble, Vogue, but I, I need you to tell the story about the mixtape that, that you received at one of, at one of the Vogue events. Oh, that one! That, yes, the one that said, "I love, I love, love you." Yep. Oh, yeah. oh! I tell you, that was unbelievable. I, and wasn't I, it? It was a mixtape, wasn't it? Yes, or? it was up up in Canada, and it was. I don't think it was intended to be that way, but it was something about "I love you," and it was a, a club pro. You know, I go, "Whoa, wait a sec, what is this?" You know, and it was it was one of those funny things. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I get some of these, but I get. You know, the bet, what, as I said before, I, the recognition that I like is when I'm out on tour everywhere like that, and I got my hat that says Voke in the back, you know, and I said, hey, Mr. Voke, you know, thank you for helping me yeah. improve my game. You know, it's, it, thank you for your your wedges. You're, you've been great. I say, I mean, you mean tightless wedges. <laughs> I always say that. So, so my last question for you ha has to do with, you were inducted into the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, when you started in this industry, I mean, could you have ever 
foreseen nope. that something that and what was that what was that like for you first getting the phone call oh yeah um and then also just just getting inducted it about five about six seven years ago i remember uh, even more than that i was driving down up in toronto you know but my sister lives in it in the area up there so i'm driving to see my sister and i was working a golf tournament and i happened to see the sign on the thing it said canadian golf hall of fame i go hey i said that would I thought to myself that that would be really neat, you know, because I said, I'm not going to get in the, the World Golf Hall of Fame. But I said, okay, that would really be neat. And then all of a sudden, it happened. And the very first year when I got inducted, I'm sitting up on the stage, and it's funny, I was sitting right beside Jack Nicholas, so I think there was a guest speaker, and he was sitting right beside me because we we're, were on the podium. And I looked at the picture now, and I still, I still didn't, believe it for a long time then last year i went up and trevino was going to be the guest speaker for for two other inductees getting inducted in uh gail gail graham and the other one was a, was a golf club designer from calgary and, and 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 i'm sitting there sitting there got laurie kane mike weir richard zokel dave barr bob weeks all the inductees and Lauren Rubstein, he was there, you know, all the, all the guys. See, I, I'm sitting there, that's when I realized, damn, this has happened. I, that's when I really realized that, wow, this is really cool. That's when I started to feel feel good about everything else. That's, that's when I say, like to say to myself, in my career, every man has a certain ego, work ego, as far as their work, what they do in life, what their lot in life is. That was the first time I really, really felt, doggone, I guess, to get, I guess the folks done okay. Not financially, nothing alone. I'm not being a big hero. It's only in golf, but my chosen profession, I've done okay. And I got recognized for it, I'm saying, and I'm doing it. But the only downside to it, Jonathan, it all came when I'm going to be 80 years old in six months. And it's like... <laughs> Why didn't this happen when I was 45 that I could go for another 30 years, you know? But that's that's the downside. There's nothing's perfect, but this is as perfect as it possibly could be. Well, Voke, you've done more than okay, and, and thank you so much for, for giving up your time. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this equipment episode of the Golf.com podcast. Special thanks to Bob Voke and the team at Titleist. This episode was produced by Lucas O'Neill and me, Jonathan Wall. And if you're looking for more equipment news, be sure to check out golf.com and follow me on Twitter at, at Jonathan R. Wall. We'll see you around.